0: This is J.G. Hertzler, General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to
1: Trek FM.
0: Welcome to Season 6, Episode 16 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike, and John is... Uh, we had a bit of a scheduling conflict this week, and you know, he's stuck at work now and everything like that, and Max is still um, marooned wherever he is, and hopefully he'll be back in the not-too-distant future. So, you know, it was like, well, do we do we do we just skip a week? Do we? Well, we've never skipped a week. We have never once skipped a week for one hundred and forty six weeks. So we're not skipping a week. And luckily, Marcelo stepped (laughs) in and uh, he's going to, to join me to talk about Jerry Goldsmith's Oscar winning score for The Omen. Marcelo, thank you very much for, for joining me.
1: Today. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it just so happens I had some free time today, and yeah, I'm glad to talk about uh, The Omen.
0: Yeah, now we, we had you on this show for a couple episodes way, way long ago, like over two years ago, to talk about some Nicholas Meyer stuff. Um, but since then, you've started up your your own podcast, The Talk Film Society. You want to just give people an idea of what that is
1: oh yeah well uh it it branches off uh from the from the twitter account, which the twitter the twitter account the talk film society twitter account started off as just um i figured you know they have the oscars and whatever awards shows so i figured why not have an an award show on twitter where people on twitter decide and then uh, the podcast came from that idea where let's just have Voices on Twitter, members of the Talk Film Society, um, come on the podcast and and talk about film. So yeah, that's where it stems. And yeah, we are I uh, think at this point wrapping up season two. And yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, TalkFilmSociety.com dot com is where you can find the episodes.
0: Yeah, it's kind of weird because like you would ne- listening to it, you would never think that this came from. Like an awards based thing, because the conversations that that occur on the talk film society are like some of the most you know literate and and philosophical and analytical conversations about film that are are going on right now, so um, definitely, if you're a fan of movies, check out the Talk Film Society.
1: Well, yeah, thanks. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, um, I just wanted to, like, because you've been on the show and love great other film people have been on the show, and it's just been a pleasure to have, yeah, varying voices and interesting discussion. Uh, I I love doing it.
0: Yeah. So today we're going to talk about The Omen, which was directed by Richard Donner, uh, and it came out in, in 1976. And Jerry Goldsmith did the music for it. It's kind of surprising to me that, A, Jerry Goldsmith only won one Oscar, and, B, that it was for this movie, that a movie like this could actually win an Oscar. But that's how good his score is, at least in my opinion. Um, but before we get into uh, the score itself, uh, what, what are your thoughts on
1: The Omen? Uh, having just rewatched it this morning, um, I'm reminded that this is a terrific film. Um, I, I think I first saw this back in high school. I think AMC had a marathon of all the Omen films. Uh, I remember very distinctly watching the first Omen on TV and being, you know, pretty much blown away. But then I didn't see it for like another ten years. I saw it again about a year ago, and yeah, still, <laughs> it it is both um, terrifying in a way that not normal in a way that horror films aren't um what, what am i trying to say it's not structured like a straight-off horror film but it's still terrifying in ways um especially those uh, the the standard element i think is are the kills which is still shocking to me uh some of the the way uh some of these people in this movie are are taken out <laughs> Still, pretty, yeah. still pretty shocking. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it stands as like a solid thriller with horror elements and very well made by by Donner. And yeah, the music is is iconic. I think at this point.
0: Yeah, I guess before we get too far into it, we should uh, kind of give people an idea of what this movie is or what it's about. Uh, the Omen. It's it's a horror movie um, starring Gregory Peck, uh, and it's about. Um, a guy, he's he's the ambassador, he's the American ambassador to uh, the UK, I guess. And his, his wife has a baby who dies um, in childbirth. And he is quickly whisked off to like a, a church or something, a seminary or something like that, where a priest says, hey, this child... This child right here was just born, and his mom died in childbirth. So what you can do is you can take this kid, and, you know, your wife will never have to know that it's not her kid, and you can raise him as your own, and, you know, this is, this is uh, you know, it's meant to be. So he does that. And then, uh, you know, over the first uh, couple of years, he kind of uh, realizes that this kid is the son of the devil. And hijinks ensue. <laughs> so so th- that's, that's the omen. Um, for me, like, I-, I had never seen this movie up until this week. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where I was like, I always knew that I needed to see it because, you know, Richard Donner is a great director and um I mean for those people who don't know, I, Richard Donner is the guy who he's probably most famous for directing uh Superman the movie and half of Superman 2, I don't know. Um but he he's also made a, a ton of other movies. He's uh, goes back to TV. I mean for for Star Trek people, you may know him as the director of The Twilight Zone episode where William Shatner sees the monster on the wing of the plane. He directed that. So, um, he goes way back, and he's a very skilled director, and yeah, because of that I knew that, yes, I need to see The Omen. But at the same time, I... There's this thing with, like, these types of movies, like horror movies which involve the devil, or exorcisms, or any of this stuff, where... I just – I can't stand them for the most part because as far as horror is concerned, I don't find anything about this to be scary. It's like, you know, there's nothing more boring to me than an exorcism movie where it's literally like this person is possessed so I'm going to chant at this person and throw water on this person until all of a sudden, whenever it's dramatically feasible, the filmmakers decide that you won or you lost. I mean it I have this the same problem that I have with Harry Potter movies. It's like all of this is sort of based in this kind of like weird like mysticism and it's supposed to be terrifying that your son is the devil and all this stuff. But like at the same time, it's like there's no basis in reality and because of that like I cannot be scared I cannot be scared by the devil I cannot be scared by something that doesn't exist you know so it's like to me like a horror movie which is going to terrify me is something like you know Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer where it's like these are two normal guys who are just running around killing people and also by the way, on the same city streets that I tend to travel on a, you know, daily basis. So that's freaking terrifying. But when you say, like, my kid is the devil, I'm just like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. You know?
1: And I, I I I hear where you're coming from, and I guess I just come from a different um, uh, viewpoint. I was raised Catholic. <laughs> I, I, well, so so was I. Yeah. But anyway, okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. but I guess um, I don't know. Like, yeah, I was raised Catholic. I'm no longer Catholic. I'm I'm I have no religion. But but still, like the, these stories that go around, like these ghost stories, the stories of exorcisms. I, I think they influence me in terms of how. I see films like this, like even though I don't believe that this is based in any reality, you know, it, I think it's still. I wouldn't say it's still scary to me. I think it's it's interesting. I think it, it's still the horror elements still stand for me. Uh, so I I, I dig stuff like this. I dig stuff like, Rosemary's Baby, uh, or or even like something more recent, um, Deliver Us from Evil, that Eric Bana exorcism movie. I dug mm-hmm. that a lot. So yeah, like st- stories like that, stories like this. I still, <laughs> yeah, like I said, I don't believe in them, but I I, I still um, find them interesting, and and I still get just a sense of horror in them.
0: Well, I mean, okay, that that's the thing is, and, and I like I'm I'm sounding really negative about this movie, but there is a I guess a second part <laughs> to my review here, which is you know like I, the reason why I bring that up is because a movie like this has basically in my mind, two strikes against it, right, already. But that doesn't mean that it can't be a good movie. Like Rosemary's Baby, which you bring up, I think that that's an amazing movie. And I think one of the things that I love about it is the horror to me really comes not so much from the fact that she has, like, the the devil's child inside of her, but the fact that, like, everyone around her is just treating this as just a normal everyday occurrence and she's desperately crying for help and no one around her is giving her the help that she needs you know I think that might be what I find to be scary about Rosemary's Baby but with with this one I mean it, it very much has that sort of vibe to it and like the thing that I, like I, I went into it I started watching it and I'm just like mm, I'm not so sure about this and then there's the the, the, the first kill I guess you yeah. could say and there's just that moment where i mean spoilers i guess but uh the, the little kid's nanny the little kid's only like 4 or 5 years old and his nanny and him share a bit of a moment and there's like a dog off to the side and they share a bit of a moment and it's during like a backyard you know sort of like party birthday party or whatever and then you see the nanny up on um up on the top of a the house And she's like, Damien, I'm doing it all for you with a big smile on her face and a noose around her neck. And then she jumps off the building and kills herself. And it's like and then the music and everything and just everything surrounding it and maybe taking that like juxtaposing that, you know, um, sort of very suburban setting of like a birthday party with this, you know, horrific image like it really did creep me the hell out you know <laughs> i mean like i i wasn't i would say scared about it but i was definitely unsettled by yeah. it you know
1: yeah that's that's a great word un, uh, unsettled by it um yeah it's, because I, I i always forget that it happens f- like 14 minutes into the movie like yeah things are just going along and then that happens and yeah i i again i was taken aback by oh shit this is you know some stuff is going down already <laughs>
0: Yeah, and and the fact that you know it's it, it does occur 14 minutes into the movie is also kind of like a, a big thing for me because these movies tend to be sort of glacial in their setup, right. you know, and it's like I know because I know the name of this movie and I saw the trailer, I know what's coming, and I don't need to discover this stuff in real time with the characters, you know, it's it, it makes for like a boring first act, generally speaking. So I like the, the fact that this, this movie really sort of hits the ground running, you know? Um, but I, I, and, 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 you know, a big part of that, you know, is the music, like in that scene, just the, the music is so, again, kind of like off-putting and uses sort of like, um, uh, chords and stuff like that, which are, are kind of grating and it it really does uh you know blend with the visuals really well and has like sort of a a, a really uh strong impact um in terms of uh, the overall effect so yeah i mean and and i think that they're able to to sort of maintain that and i think that the story that they're telling is interesting enough that it's uh it's cool you know the mythology that they're building is cool and everything like that i i really sort of like the idea of applying this kind of like ancient concept of the devil to uh, a very modern uh, world and seeing how, you know, how would the devil act in modern day society? What form would he take and, and how would he, you know, manipulate the world in order to gain control of it? And I think that it's it's really interesting how they play with that in this movie. And, yeah, I mean it it's definitely a horror movie but even though it doesn't scare me i i think it it's really effective in terms of telling its story and getting its point across and um it's really interesting i liked it a lot
1: Oh, great yeah yeah and and i i was also reminded about how it is yeah there are horror elements but it turns into more of a thriller towards the end of of our our leads like investigating exactly what happened with damien's birth and 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 just like the 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 evil uh forces behind him uh yeah it's i, I enjoyed that aspect of it a lot more i think this time the, the conspiracy thriller uh, thriller aspect of it
0: mm-hmm. yeah it was cool it was cool um so okay well let, let's talk about the the music some more because i mean that's why we're here i guess uh jerry goldsmith Won the Oscar for this, which is uh, to me surprising. That you know a movie like this. I mean, and I understand that things were different back then, where you had things like The Exorcist. I mean, wasn't The Exorcist nominated for Best Picture? I mean, it's like they they there seems it seems like I mean, whenever you look at those those nominees and winners from like the seventies, it's like what was going on? I mean, what has changed? Because while I see like the appreciation for, for horror and, and, you know, action and all that stuff in um, modern day film criticism, things like the Talk Film Society and the people who, you know, sort of associate with that, you don't see it in the Academy, you know, and you did back then. And that's so weird to me. I'm, I'm wondering what has changed. I, I don't know what it is, if it, people are just getting older or what, but it's strange to me but it's cool and the omen win- winner of best original score now what what did you what did you think about the score in this
1: um first note i wrote was iconic um <laughs> it is it is one of those scores that um this and the images from the movie that go along with it have been um uh, parodied have been o- o- homaged through years and years like even family guy does it now and then i mean it's like the like the the, the chanting those yeah those chords like the music is is iconic through and through um, yeah and the opening time of music definitely gets you into the mood yeah the the fox fanfare's not there you see the fox logo it's silent then all of a sudden jerry Goldsmith's um, music starts and yeah you, the mood is already set so you're already in for a horrific ride in terms of mood and and music. So yeah, I definitely love this the score. <laughs> definitely unsettling.
0: Yeah, it has that sort of like, um, you know, I mean, because you've got like the chorus in there and it's sort of like evoking, you know, sort of like some sort of like evil church music kind of thing going on. But then like underneath it too, which I think is, is really kind of key, is you've got a more typical like horror score as sort of like the base you know i mean like if you were to take out the chanting it would sound like something from like tales from the crypt or something like that and i think like pairing those two things together is really effective and yeah i mean it definitely does set the tone right away and it's you know it's it's catchy too like i can see like you know listening to this in the shower or whatever you know whereas like some music it's just like In movies, it's just this kind of, like, mood music that you can't really listen to outside of the movie. Like, this you can. And, I mean, that was something that we were kind of talking about in last week's episode when we were looking at Goldsmith's work in Star Trek. And, like, Star Trek, the motion picture, I mean, you don't even need to see the movie in order to appreciate that music. You can put that on, and that's just a great classical music album. And I think that there's a lot of that going on in this movie, too. But it has those, those unsettling cues and stuff that kind of, you know, mash well with the, with the visuals, and, and it is extremely effective. I, I, I usually don't notice music in movies unless I'm looking for it, and here I, I definitely noticed it um, in a good way, you know, because it, it, it helped with the impact of the overall film the The other thing that it did, which I thought was kind of nice, is you know one of the things that I like as much as I like Garrett goldsmith's like big themes and stuff like that. I like his sort of like ambient mood music, which you hear um in in a lot of the the sort of like smaller scenes um there's a lot of that going on in alien, and uh there's a lot of it going on here too when they're in their sort of like good time sequence during. Those first fourteen minutes before <laughs> the woman jumps off the building, um, it it really is kind of like very domestic and they're a happy family. and the music underneath that, I think is is really good and very goldsmith. like I kept on listening to it, thinking like, this sounds like alien, like the beginning of alien, you know, back when it is good times and stuff and and I, I liked that too it's It's very Goldsmith and yet unlike anything else that I've heard him do. Um, So yeah, it's it's cool. So, um, where where do you place this? I mean, are you a Goldsmith fan in general?
1: Um, I definitely need need to get into his work more. This morning, when I looked through his his filmography, I I I noticed films that he did that I either forgot he did or just didn't know he did. Like a lot. There's a. I mean, he did uh, according to IMDb like 251. Uh, yeah. scores, <laughs> so yeah, looking through it uh he's done a lot of great scores for movies I love and and yeah, and I think overall like i I'm a fan without knowing how much work he actually put in to, to all his films so yeah and uh how could I forget alien I mean that's one of my favorite films of all time, definitely one of my favorite scores of all time, so yeah
0: yeah and we we can talk about that in a minute but what As far as, you know, I mean, looking at the list and everything like that and just sort of, I'm not, you know, asking you to, you know, where does it fit in the 251 necessarily (laughs) or whatever. But, like, how do you think that uh, the OMEN score stacks up with uh, the other stuff that you're familiar with?
1: I think it's pretty high. I think this and Alien are probably either his most iconic scores or like his best scores that I've, I've heard or, and, but they're, I think both of my favorites, I think at this point, um, again, (laughs) I have to look through his entire filmography, but just at first glance it's up there because just, um, like I said, it is, (laughs) it, it, it invokes a mood right away. That chanting is iconic and yeah, it, it works outside the film, like you said. So I think it's definitely up there as, as one of his best.
0: Yeah, I I agree that it is definitely up there. I mean, he's done so many, which are so good that, you know, I can't say that it's at the top of of the list um, at all, but it's definitely extremely solid and, you know, better than most, I mean, I guess. I mean, it's certainly better than most scores in general. I mean, the thing, I guess, that we have to think about with Jerry Goldsmith, at least in my opinion, is, like, he is one of the absolute best composers of all time. I mean, to me there's like John Bryan is number 1, which I know is weird. <laughs> and then there's, you know, John Williams and then Jerry Goldsmith. And there's times where Jerry Goldsmith's work is better than John Williams's. You know, there are times like I said this on the last episode, but like there are times where like I'm listening to the score for Star Trek the Motion Picture and I'm like, yeah, this is this is better than Star Wars. Yeah you know and and i think that's not true but there are times where i think it's true and uh yeah but but this one is certainly you know high on my list of goldsmith scores which makes it very high on my list of scores in general so uh let's let's take a look now at you know just some of the other uh movies which he's done do sort of like a lightning round of of jerry goldsmith scores so, for you, like what's, what's one of your your all-time favorites? Well, I, I guess to start, you know because we you brought it up and, and I've brought it up, and it's I, my favorite uh, Goldsmith score, and it sounds like it's one of yours too, Alien:
1: yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean it's, it's another film where it starts off with, with, the, with, with these uh, opening credits, and uh, the score comes in, the opening theme, and it just evokes a mood. And that's that's alien to me. Like it it, it ma- manages to capture the mood of Alien, the film within like the first one minute of of screen time, and that's thanks to, to to his score. And yeah, and 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 going on from then, just like the the moments when the film builds and and the score is just it's not like I want to say it's like in your face, but it again it sets the mood, and it has to be my favorites of his. Now that I look through like his like his entire filmography, because like I said, Alien is one of my favorite films of all time, and that's that's partly because the mood invokes and the score.
0: Yeah, Alien is one of my favorite films of all time too, and this is one of my favorite scores. And like you're saying, I mean, just the way the way that the score uh, sort of evokes the the general tone of the movie is so perfect. It starts off with like the opening credit sequence which is kind of, you know, ominous. But then as you get into the ship and they're waking up and everything is just kind of, you know, going on and and they're setting the stage with all this stuff, it presents this kind of like peace and serenity that really kind of relaxes you, you know, and almost takes you off guard. Uh as you're about to 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 watch this this you know really really intense horror movie and that to me is a big part of it is is a big part of the reason why the movie works is because it does really put you at ease and makes everything very calm and natural and just everyday and then when it gets into the horror stuff it just ramps up really fast, and you're just like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, for, like, the rest of the movie until, like, the very end. And, you know, spoilers when, you know, the, the problem is taken care of and, you know, we're left with the hero um, safe and sound. There is not much movie left after that. Like, basically no movie left after that. But as soon as that happens, you know, let's say it ends with a giant kind of explosion, and then the, the, the way that the music in particular helps to kind of take you down off of that high is very significant. Like, that is the one movie, I think, more than any other movie, where I always watch through the credits. And the reason is because the music in the end credits does such a good job of kind of relaxing you after you've been through this extremely intense experience. And you kind of need that in order to come down from that high, and it, it almost completes the experience for me. Right. Like, if that, if that calm music wasn't there over the end credits, then I, I don't think I would enjoy the, the movie nearly as much as, as I do. And I also love how the end credits, unlike most movies, and I know the end credits are much shorter, but they're not like sort of like a greatest hits of what we just heard. It's appropriate to the place where you're at at this point in time, you know, which which I think is really great.
1: So, yeah. Yeah. And, I and, yeah, and, and like you said, I mean... Yeah, it, it it is a, a, a breather after what just happened and yeah it, it, it invokes those opening uh, moments of, of the beginning of the film like when you see them sleeping and waking up <laughs> you know it um it just came to me like it's almost like um, like when she's asleep is when it's the most calm <laughs> when when she's awake she's in this world when where it's just it's hell <laughs> yeah yeah a monster running around so yeah it, it you as an audience and and uh our, our lead are most at peace when um when uh, when our lead is asleep and when things are calm and, and yeah the music just 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 takes you there
0: yeah yeah it's it's pretty awesome and I know like I kind of i mean part of me i'm always like any time that I say that like that's my favorite of his scores i'm I'm always kind of like I don't know if I can really say that because I know that there was a lot of stuff in there which was pieced together from different things I think there might there might be some uh you know straight up traditional classical music which is used, and I know that like I think it's when they're waking up like that music there was like a whole big thing because um like when they were temp scoring the the movie like ridley scott was using a piece of music that goldsmith had written for uh freud like 20 years earlier or 16 years earlier or something like that and then goldsmith wrote a piece specifically for that scene and um scott was like eh i like the thing you did for freud better <laughs> i'm just going to use that instead and apparently goldsmith was not exactly happy about that particular development, but you know, which is understandable, but it's still goldsmith you know and and I mean it, I guess i don't know I mean where do you separate that i I don't know, but it's whatever it is, it works. you know the music in that movie is great it's not necessarily as listenable as say the score from Star Trek, the Motion Picture, but it is very appropriate to the movie. Right. So, so what? What? What else do you got? What are What are some of your other favorites, or what's one of your other favorites?
1: Yeah, one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> looking through, um, you know, I, I I think I've said iconic a few too many times. You know how I think The Omen is iconic, and Alien, and uh, yeah, that that score is is iconic. But um, not so iconic, but definitely one of my favorites is his score for um, Air Force One.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I thought about that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: In, yeah, um, again, I think th- in the beginning of the film there are these flourishes of, <laughs> um, I think horns and it it, it invokes America, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and and it is it is spot on for the mood of the film, and yeah, it is it is a blast in terms of action uh, in terms of an action film score, um, <laughs> when when it gets going and, and towards the end in the climax the music builds and builds and yeah it is is. Yeah, like I said, perfect action film uh, soundtrack, and and yeah, it it invokes America in loving ways without without straight out playing the Star Spangled Banner.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I do I do love the score for Air Force One. I think it's it's great. I love that movie so much. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's you know it's Die Hard on Air Force One, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's great. I mean, what what more could you look for in a movie? And Gary Old. Oldman in that movie is so awesome I love that movie so much but the score is definitely you know right on point with that for sure Um, you know one of my favorites is uh, going back pretty far in his career uh, Chinatown oh yeah Um, there's another one where it just, as far as like mood is concerned, it it completely captures sort of what they're going for with that movie and this sort of like depressing, uh, state of, of the world really as, as captured in this tiny story. And I mean, that to me is like what this, this whole story is about really. It's like one of the things that I love about it is, um, It's a very small story. It starts off with just like a a case of this, you know, guy who may be cheating on his wife. And it blows up to something which encompasses the entire city of Los Angeles. And, I I mean, that's what film noir kind of does really well. And, you know, this movie does it better than almost any other. But the music... Stays small the whole time. the music you know is it never leaves sort of like that room, you know, where these two characters are having this conversation, and it's just this this theme which runs through it where it's just a very sort of um melancholy, I guess, you know it's beautiful and it invokes this sort of like feeling of you know lost love or love that could never be. And um, just sadness, you know, sadness of like, I see something right over there, and I can almost reach it, and it's I just can't quite get there, and I know that I never will, and you know, I just kind of have to live with that. Like that's that's the mood that that music creates, and, and I think it's it's beautiful. Um, okay. Well, what about you?
1: you? Got any others? Yeah, I just pulled another one that I, you know, it's. It happens to me from time to time. I, I look through like my favorite composers, and I just tend to forget some films they do. Like I just I just scrolled through his filmography, and I saw Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of oh, the Apes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> because I I recently, fairly recently, re- rewatched the original Planet of the Apes films, and and after seeing the original one, the 1968, uh, yeah. It, that's a film that continues to blow me away it, it it's it's slowly becoming one of my favorites ever. and I remember distinctly um during that rewatch just loving the soundtrack and how it invokes this um this animalistic feel um especially when like the the apes come on screen and and heston has to <laughs> basically comes face to face with with uh, these these new beings but yeah it, it, it invo- the score invokes that feeling so well and and it, and him playing in, in the sci-fi realm too is it's fantastic so yeah Planet of the Apes his score in that film it's one of my favorites
0: yeah and it's very different from like a lot of the ones that we mentioned I'd say if it's similar similar to any of these the, the most similar it is to is The Omen because it has that sort of like weird yeah. it's almost about like Weird sounds, and it's not like your typical sort of like you know Star Wars type of orchestral beauty. It's more playing with weird sounding things in order to evoke this sense of uh, of the alien. You know, yeah, it's
1: it's otherworldly, which is perfect for (laughs) for a film, but called Planet of the Apes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, It's it's really good. It's really good for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, b- before we, we wrap this up, um, I, I should note that there were a couple of key collaborators on uh, The Omen who had worked in Star Trek uh, or who would go on to work on, on Star Trek. And it, it's just kind of noteworthy for a couple of reasons. One is, is David Warner. Oh, he's he's um, fantastic
1: in this movie. <laughs> he's, he's awesome yeah, in everything.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, I love his character in this. And uh, it's... <laughs> He does have he does have one of the, the best uh, death scenes. And, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it still shocked me. Oh, God. I knew it was coming, but it still surprises me. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yes. It's great. It's great.
0: Um, and the other one, which I think is really interesting, is Stuart Baird, who was the editor on this movie. He was Richard Donner's editor, I think, for a long time. You know, he cut Superman and all this stuff. And looking at um, Stuart Baird, I went on to direct Star Trek Nemesis, the last of the next generation movies, very sort of um, infamously um, to, to a lot of people. A lot of fans uh, see Stuart Baird as public enemy number one. <laughs> and uh, they think of him as a terrible director instead of thinking of him as an amazing editor. But he is an amazing editor. I mean, you look at his filmography and it's just like, oh my God, you know? I mean, he edited everything from the omen and and superman all the way up through um skyfall you know and and casino royale and it's just like wow this guy he's he's great he's truly yeah. one of the, one of the best editors in history and it's interesting to me that, because i saw that and i'm like oh that's cool because like here jerry goldsmith's doing the music and Stuart baird's editing it And then, you know, since Goldsmith did the music for, like, a bunch of Star Trek movies, he ended up doing the music for Nemesis, which Baird directed. And then I started looking at Goldsmith's filmography, and I'm like, oh, look at that. Goldsmith has actually scored all of Stuart Baird's movies. So I guess, you know, they knew each other from back in the day or whatever, you know, and they had a relationship, and they worked well together. They probably worked pretty closely together since I'm assuming... You know, I mean, the, both editing and, and music are like post-production processes. They probably work together a lot on, on movies like The Omen, so they probably had a good relationship. And then, you know, Baird gets Star Trek, and Goldsmith's already there, and they just kind of meet, and it's all perfect and great. And Nemesis, it ends up being a great movie. Have you seen Star Trek Nemesis?
1: Not yet. I don't think. I I can't remember which one. I I saw. I think First Contact. I think that's the only Next Generation Star Trek film I've seen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I hey. Um. I I have them on Blu-ray, and I could watch them anytime I want. But for some reason, I have not seen them. And, uh, I and I think the answer as to why I'm not you know, chomping at the bit to see them is because I was never a next generation guy. And that's like an entirely different conversation. I know, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get to them eventually.
0: Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to have you on to talk about that at some point. Um, I yeah, watch Generations because, you know, it's the end of Captain Kirk. It's, I mean, I don't know. I love Generations for a completely irrational reasons. First Contact, the one that you saw is definitely considered to be the best. Insurrection is very small and kind of like just an episode and it's very insignificant in my opinion. And Nemesis is uh, the end. It's the end of Next Gen and uh, a lot of people don't like how it ended. So <laughs> there you go. It's weird. It's it, well, Looking at it historically, it's weird just because you're like, how did this go wrong? Screenplay by John Logan um, Starring Tom Hardy, and for all intents and purposes, his first role in a major motion picture. And you know, big budget script and everything. I mean, Jerry Goldsmith music, and the and you know, Jeffrey Kimball shot it, and all this stuff. And um, the end result is interesting to <coughs> say the least, but yeah, but Baird's work in The Omen is. Great, you know the editing in that movie is is fantastic. So
1: yeah, and and going back to the way David Warner is um, uh, killed, <laughs> yeah. That the the editing the editing is in, in that is tremendous because he he, um, he goes to multiple takes. I mean, yeah, multiple camera angles <laughs> and shows it over and over in the most sickly beautiful way. <laughs> you, you could show that type of death. So yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it 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 is pretty great. Yes. So, okay. Well, um I guess that's that's pretty much it. A- any final thoughts on the Omen or, or Jerry Goldsmith?
1: Um, I love them both. <laughs> yeah, this <laughs> this is fast becoming one of my favorite horror movies. I think I think it it's up there in uh in the ranks for me of like Rosemary's Baby. In terms of like the horror it evokes and just the mood it's it's it uh, it brings and yeah this is a another iconic goatsmith score and yeah it's it's definitely up there for me so yeah I, I'm glad I saw this again and yeah I'm glad I had a chance to talk to you about it
0: yeah i I enjoyed the omen quite a bit too you know having not seen it um, it was it was I would say kind of a pleasant surprise for me you know since I I don't tend to like these movies, uh, but I shouldn't have been surprised that it was good. I think I knew that it was going to be good. I just was afraid of of it being bad. But um, (laughs) but I I thought it was, was very good, and I thought that Goldsmith's score was very good as well, and I think on the whole, you know, Goldsmith is one of the best ever. So, yeah, that's that. Well, it's been fun talking about the Omen today, but that's not the only thing we're talking about this week on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network.
1: Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit.
0: Well, it's very small and intimate, and you get to see you know, a lot of people whose work you've come to admire or whatever. And, I mean, that's what's kind of cool about it, the fact that it's in a hotel. It's at the Rio, and you know everyone is staying there. Earl Grey. Yeah, really, she's following the haspirat, I think is really what it is. <laughs> Come for the revolution, stay for the Hasbro. It's got to be fresh Hasbro. None of that replicated stuff. Like Daniel's, like at the, watching the end of this episode, like tears are coming down the face. It's like, oh, it's the hosperat, It's so spicy. It's what it is. <laughs> the orb. Also, the original title of this episode was "A Matter of Breeding." Which, when we talk about things feeling TNG-ish, that could have been a Riker episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Ready Room. It's about people and feelings and emotions. It's about philosophy. It's about the future. It's about hope. It's about glory. It's about intellectual promise. That's what Axnar is about. It is not a story about pew, pew, pew. I promise you that. To the journey! I do have one honorable mention. Name it. Prax! How could we not have a top five season five moments without Prax? Warp 5. It kind of like is akin to um, when fans saw the galaxy class in the next generation for the very first time. And you had basically a crew and civilian complement of what, over a thousand people? About two-thirds of that compliment were civilians and their families. So you actually did have teachers and scholars and scientists and their extended families on board. Commentary, Trek Stars. One of the things that amazes me about the score for Star Trek The Motion Picture is that he he only had 50% of the movie available to him when he scored. So he, he was scoring an
0: awful lot to scene missing, scene missing.
1: The 602 Club. Where did oh. he get the cloak from on the <laughs> other planet? I really, really, really want to know. He shows up uh, with the he, cloak. He, he, he kind of
0: fashioned it out of out of a ludu- rudimentary lane. <laughs> <length>, uh... <Yeah. laughs>
1: Literary treks.
0: It's a small point, but I thought it was really interesting to have here in the book. Because, again, that's what Star Trek Deep Space Nine has really always done for Star Trek, which is kind of make faith okay in the star trek universe and show how it's valid and so i thought that was a really nice uh, in it again it's a it's a tiny point in the book but i thought it was pretty powerful at least for me who is somebody who is a faith so Mm -hmm.
1: axonar the official podcast it is the spirit of tos that matters that's being captured but it doesn't necessarily have to be the aesthetic. The aesthetic was 1966 to 1969 that had its moment, it had its time, and there's a certain amount of charm still to that, but it doesn't allow you to push the Women narrative at forward because that type of aesthetic holds creativity back, in my opinion. Keiko could totally beat the crap out of Rumpelstiltskin. This is so, like, I cannot buy this at all. That she's just sitting there being like, oh, my baby. At the very least, she could throw a plant at him or something. Because we established in TNG that pot foo is a thing. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. And beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the shows as they search iTunes. Uh, You see, I I always say that, you know, because it's here in the copy. But, you know, I mean, I guess it is really true. And I mean, I guess you know this, too, as a as a podcaster, like apparently like leaving a review on iTunes is like a really big deal. And, And so so please do us a favor.
1: Yeah, it it, it it it's something about Apple's um, uh, formula, like if you write a review, the your podcast rises in search results, something like that. So, yeah, it's important.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, please, leave a review. Um, if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and, of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way that you can help keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. We do have an email this week, some feedback about uh, last week's episode on Jerry Goldsmith from our old friend Crazy Man. He says, Loving the Jerry Goldsmith talk. His score for the motion picture alone makes that the greatest of all Trek movies. Okay, let's not get... Overboard here, crazy man. It's a great score, but please. The only thing I dislike is that they use the Enterprise music in San Francisco, which ruins the reveal when it is played when we first see Enterprise. I think it's a director's cut edition, but I could be wrong. I don't think it is a director's cut edition. I think that they had that in the original cut, if I'm not mistaken. My favorite scores of his Outside Star Trek are Patton and Rambo First Blood Part 2. Which I often hum to myself in appropriate circumstances. Cheers, crazy man. I, I, you know, I've never seen Patton. I don't know. Have Have you?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I haven't either, which is unfortunate. No. It's from it's from the director of Planet of the Apes. Oh yeah, I know. Uh, it, it's yeah. one. It's one that I've been meaning meaning to watch for years and years, but I just haven't had the. You know, I should be watching Patton right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too, right? I mean, didn't like Francis Ford Coppola write that and stuff? I mean...
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. And Rambo First Blood Part 2. That's... I mean...
1: Um, yeah, Rambo, because uh, I think he scored the first Rambo um, as well. That was That was close to being a favorite I was going to talk about, because... Um, the scores through, through those films are, are again, um, similar to Air Force One, sort of invoke America and and, and uh, paints this, this uh, especially part two, paints the, the film as, as patriotic. Maybe maybe a tad bit too much, but the score definitely helps.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that, that Rambo First Blood part two, that was written by James Cameron. Early. That's was right. one of the writers on there. I'm not a big fan of that movie, but, you know, what can yeah. you do? I don't know. I, the
1: Ram- Rambo movies don't work for me. I'm sorry. It, it's only the first and the most recent one that I really like. That's it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if, if you
0: want to contact us, if you want to give us a review, there's a number of ways that you can you can do that, like Crazy Man. Um, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact, or you can leave us a voicemail. Just look on the sidebar of the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. You can find us on Twitter at trek.fm. Or you can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash where you'll also find the BABEL conference, which is our user forum, our listener forum. Just go to the BABEL conference, just type that into the search field on Facebook. That's B A B E L. And uh yeah, you'll find us there. Marcella, where can people find you on the internet?
1: On Twitter, Talk Film Society at Talk let that's Talk Film S O C Follow us there, you'll find the podcast there. Go to talkfilmsociety.com. You'll find the podcast there as well as well. Sorry. And also just follow me on Twitter at Marcelo J Pico. If you want to hear me uh talk about movies, um maybe a bit too much. There you go.
0: Nah, you can never talk too much <laughs> about movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and definitely check out Talk Film Society. It it is great. And uh and yeah, like like I always say you you always whenever i'm on the show you always make it sound like i know what i'm talking about which is rare so i appreciate that
1: now and 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 i'll say um there are, i've heard feedback saying you're one of their favorite guests on the show because yeah i mean it, editing helps a bit but no you <laughs> you know a lot and and i'm i'm grateful every time you're on cuz it's always an interesting chat
0: yeah well thanks thanks yeah. i i really i really enjoy it quite a bit well, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, or you can also find me right here on Trek.fm doing Standard Orbit, or you can find me on my website, commentarytrackstars.com, where I do commentary track stars off-topic and commentary track star babies. And you can also find the show on Twitter at comtrackstars, or you can email us, like Crazy Man did, at comtrackstars at gmail.com. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring commentary, track stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. I have a book this week, which we didn't talk about, uh, but it's another uh, book which was based on... I'm sorry, another book which was the basis for a movie which had a Jerry Goldsmith score, which is one of my favorites, and that's L.A. Confidential. Ah. Have you you seen L.A. Confidential? (laughs) I have not seen L.A. Confidential. Oh, my God. You have to see L.A. Confidential. I know. I know. I know. Here's the description of the book, which was written by James Elroy. Um, It's narrated by Craig Wasson. It's 17 hours and 35 minutes long, unabridged. Six prisoners are beaten senseless in their cells by cops crazed on alcohol. For the three LAPD detectives involved, it will expose the guilty secrets on which they have built their corrupt and violent careers. I haven't read the book. I want to read the book, but the movie is so good. I mean, like, if you want, like, a great noir movie, it's awesome. And, like, what we were talking about with Chinatown, like, this does that like, a million times over, you know? It's awesome. I mean, you'll just sit there and it's as it's unfolding, you're just like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And then, like, it's, it's this very sort of, like, cool puzzle with all of these pieces which are being put together, and then it gets to the end, and it ends with one of the best gunfights in movie history. It's just like, oh my god. And, like, everyone got their start in this. Russell Crowe, um, uh, what's his name? What's his name?
1: Uh, the guy,
0: the other guy, the other Australian dude. Oh, um, oh, uh, oh, I think I know who you're talking about. Uh, guy Pierce. Yes, no? guy, right. guy, guy, guy. Guy Pierce. Guy. Guy Pierce is in it. Kim Basinger. She won her Oscar for this. You know, uh, uh, Star Trek alum James Cromwell is is really great. It's even got Arvin Sloan in it. He's Ooh. awesome. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, definitely check out LA Confidential and, and get the book for free on Audible since you listen to Trek FM as a Trek FM listener you can get a free audio book of your choice along with a 30 day trial to see just how great Audible is just go to com slash trekfm and sign up today again that's com slash trekfm and we thank Audible for supporting commentary, Trek stars, and the network Well, thanks again for for stepping up, Marcelo, and and, uh, filling in for John and Max and uh, letting me get this thing done. Uh, It was great, you know, and and great to have you on with uh, a new, fresh perspective on The Omen and Jerry Goldsmith.
1: Yeah, and thanks for having me once again. Um, yeah, I just hope I didn't come off as a terrible person for not having seen L.A. Confidential and Patton.
0: <laughs> no, that's okay. It happens, you know. I mean, I, I haven't seen Patton, so I guess I'm half terrible too in that <laughs> case. But no, no, no. Just, just, just watch it. Just All watch right. it. All right. All right. And we will be back next week to begin our new series on Star Trek creator Michael Piller. <gasps>